going to read to you uh, scripture. And the verse for this week in this life script is about playing it safe. In Matthew 14, it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out walking on the lake, and when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus sent word to all the surrounding country, people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that you would take the words that in just moments come from me, that they would be more than words that through this God... You might speak to us and we might encounter you in a new and a fresh in a way that would cause us to be stretched and to grow. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, John Ortberg, in his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, um, wrote a whole book on this, on this small narrative in Scripture. And for some of this, I'm indebted for his ideas. But he asked this question in his book. Would you like to guess the name of the best-selling chair in America? The best-selling chair in America. Lazy Boy. Not Risky Boy. Not Worker Boy. But Lazy Boy. We want to immense ourselves in comfort. In fact, we've developed a whole language around this. People say I want to go home and veg out and make myself as much like a vegetable as humanly possible, preferably in front of the television. We have a name for people who do this as they sit in front of the TV. You know what we call that? Couch potatoes. Couch potatoes sitting comfortably in their lazy boys. In the gospel narrative we just read, Eleven disciples could be called boat potatoes. They didn't mind watching Peter step out of the boat in the middle of a storm, but they didn't want to actually do anything. Millions of people in churches these days could be called pew potatoes. They want some comfort with their religiosity, with their spiritual hunger, They may not want to risk and challenge and actually go along and do something as they follow Jesus. 
To be a follower of Jesus, you will have to, catch this, renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. In fact, this story, as we look at it, is an invitation like Peter, as he experienced it, who is called to step out in faith. This is for people who want to experience more of the power and presence of God in their life. This is for people who are willing to take the risk. They're, they're willing to move beyond their comfort zone. It actually forces the question, are you willing to let go of your life script of playing it safe? Are you willing to let go of being so in control? Are you willing to trust God to take you to places you might have never gone on your own? Do you want to grow? Do you want to stretch in your faith? For Peter, trusting Jesus meant actually getting out of a boat while eleven watched. And walking with God throughout Scripture reveals this consistent pattern. You see, when God wants to use a life, He wants to improve your life, and God wants to reveal Himself through your life, there's always some common themes, and they can be seen actually in this story, these common themes that actually stretch one's faith. There's always a call. There is always, in the midst of that, that stretching call, fear. There will always be some reassurance from the Lord. And there will be a decision. And when that decision is made, there will be a changed life. So if you look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 23 through 25, you'll see there's always a call. God asks an ordinary person, ordinary people like you and me, to engage in an act of extraordinary trust, to, to hear his voice, to, to move into some area that we might not be most comfortable with, and to follow him. And the trust to follow God causes growth, maturity, and produces outcomes beyond what you could conceive. But it calls for a following, a letting go, actually getting uncomfortable. Jesus was always pushing his followers out of their boat of of what I call comfortable inherited beliefs. His teaching, in fact, when we looked at this in chapter 13, did just that. He stopped in the middle of this um, ministry that was growing in popularity and and he shared some stories and he said, you guys aren't getting why I'm here. You're not understanding the beliefs that you have, the things that you've you've taken over the years that you've learned are the very things that are keeping you from seeing in a new way the fresh move of God that is not just some little thing, but is actually bringing in a whole new age and so he had to kind of come against those things and God called to follow Jesus to hear his spirit's voice to move according to his leading that you might begin to move in the freshness of the call of God We'll always do that. If you look at verses 22 through verse 23 and just take a moment and, and as we just look at that again It says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And then he dismissed the crowd. What I think is interesting is he has just fed 5,000 people. He's at the high point of popularity in his ministry. He's been about two years into his ministry, and now people are following him. There are people crowding around him. Everywhere he goes, they're trying to find him. When the, when the 5,000 had come just prior to that feeding, it, the disciples said to him, would you just send them away? We're tired. Uh, we really just want to rest. But now at this point, after he's fed them, something has changed. And John tells us in his gospel, verse 15 of chapter 6, that Jesus, knowing they intended, because of feeding them, they intended to come and make him king by fourth, 
he withdrew again into the hills by himself. So what Jesus does three things here that is very interesting. First of all, it says that he, he compels his disciples to leave. He makes them go. Just moments before, before feeding the 5,000, they wanted him to send the crowd away. Now they don't want him to have the crowd go. In fact, they want to stay because something has changed in their mind. They see this Jesus in the way they've always believed him. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, they're going to make you king. This is so exciting. And Jesus actually makes them get into the boat. And then Jesus takes the crowd and he, he dismisses them. It, it says that he actually has to send them away. And Jesus does that in the third thing. He actually goes into the hills all by himself because this was one of those opportune times when I think Satan had come to him once again. He had come in the temptation and he had offered him the whole kingdom, the easy way, the comfortable way, the way that it was now moving. All the people wanted it. His disciples were for it. And now Jesus has to get away, go into the hills and pray and say, God, what is it? Call me, tell me, lead me, direct me into what it is that you want. And he hears the voice of God. And the voice isn't comfortable. It's incredibly risky. It says your way is the way of the cross. And for Jesus, extreme discipleship of following his father and hearing the voice of the spirit meant that he was to go a way that wasn't popular. A way that even his own followers weren't really thrilled about. And Jesus is calling them even in their long-established beliefs, to be open to how the Spirit of God is moving and working. And that's the key. Jesus said it in Matthew 12, right before that, blaspheme the Son of Man be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Spirit, when you see the Spirit beginning to move, there is no room for forgiveness. So if you read on verse 23 through 25, it's interesting. He goes up into the hills by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Jesus goes up, he prays. As he's praying, he's praying also for his followers that they might be able to understand the path that he's going, that they might follow him even in it. Even if the rest of the world, the religious establishment stands against him, even if the rest of them crucify him, would you followers be able to see and understand as he looks out, he sees them in the boat and they're about halfway across and he begins to see the storm. And so somewhere during prior to that fourth watch or during that fourth walk, Jesus gets up and begins to go to the disciples. The considerable distance, according to John 6, was about 25 to 30 stadia. You know, we talk about um, a football field length. They would talk about stadia in that day. And 25 to 30 stadia was about three and a half miles. They were about three and a half miles across an eight-mile length that they were to go. Buffeted is, is really the word tormented. The wind had become so violent that the only thing the disciples could do, and they were, they were sailors, a number of them experienced, they could barely keep the ship afloat. They were going head into the wind. Because Jesus said, he called them, he compelled them, go to the other side. And Peter was going to do that. And the fourth watch was divided in those days. It was, it was the Romans had four watches. The Jews had three watches. And this, they would often use the Roman time and calendar. And so that was like the fourth shift when you would be watching through the night. So you might have one six to nine and then nine to midnight and midnight to three and three to six. Well, this was three to six. And Jesus sees in the storm and he sees you in your storm. 
In fact, this is the second time Jesus calms the storm. The first time he's in a boat and he's sleeping in the back and they think Jesus could care less. And they come and they rouse him and Jesus stands and calms the storm. This time, now it takes us a step further. Jesus isn't even in the boat. He's not in the boat at all. In fact, he's somewhere else praying and they don't know what to do. And so Jesus begins to walk toward them. Verse 26 is interesting. Because as you begin to read in verse 26, you see that um, they begin to see Jesus coming towards them. And during that fourth watch in the night when Jesus went out to walk in the water, when the disciples saw him walking in the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Can you imagine the scene? Someone's kind of helping keep this boat uh, uh, you know, adrift with the sails, and, and he sees a shadow in the distance moving towards them. And he sees them, he, says, he calls a couple guys, look over there. And they look, and they see this thing coming closer, and one of them goes, it's a ghost. I mean, they're frightened already. And as this image gets closer and closer, one of them says, I think it could be Jesus. And they didn't know. What's interesting here is Matthew wants to stress when he, when he, when he uses these, these words, he wants to stress again and again that it takes the eyes of faith to see Jesus and his work. It takes faith to be able to see Jesus and the Spirit of God in his work. What I find interesting is that Jesus compelled them to leave. He called them to trust and follow. Faith, following Jesus, trusting your life entirely to Him, always involves a call. There's a compelling element to it. Jesus had called ordinary guys, Peter and, and a bunch of followers, to follow Him. Then at a certain point, He calls them again. He compels them to go from this side of the water of this shore to the other side. And He calls them again. And God comes to you as an ordinary person today. You may have heard this call in your life at one point, and you have opened your life to Him, and you've given yourself entirely to Him. And all of a sudden, He comes again. At some point, maybe in the last month or last week or so, it's happened in my life where there's times where God begins to start calling you. He says, you know, there's an area, there's a, there's a place I want you to go. I want you to step out of this place of comfort, and I want you to follow me into this place. He does that with people. He does that with, with Bible study life groups. He does that with, with ministries. He does that with churches. He does that even as leaders sometimes of businesses. He calls you and says, I want you to, to move out into a new place. Walk with me and I'll lead you further. And Jesus will put us on the edge. Even in areas we think we know best. Peter, think about it. He was a, an experienced fisherman. He had steered boats through storms in the past. This was nothing new to him until the storm gets so big, he's put on the very edge of his abilities. He does not have the ability any longer to manage into this new place. And that's often when God calls us to the very edge. And the real key question is, do you trust his call? Do you trust that he has the ability to lead you, to, to, to cause you as you walk with him, to keep you in his arms safe, to move you to this place, to stretch you, maybe the beliefs that you've had, or maybe stretch you in, in the, the relational things that, that you're being called into, or to the places that he is um, causing you to think about your gifts and how to be using them. Whatever it might be, however he's calling you, maybe it's to forgive someone, that it's just a new place for you. Well, I think it's interesting. I was um, probably one of my favorite stories that John Ortberg shares, um, and it, it, is this one. He he talks about this very subject. He goes, "Some years ago, my wife arranged for us to ride in a hot air balloon as a birthday gift. 
We went to the field where the balloons ascended and got into a little basket with one other couple. We introduced ourselves, swapped vocational information, and then our pilot began the ascent. The day had just done. It was clear and crisp and cloudless. We could see the entire valley from craggy canyons all the way to the Pacific Oceans. It was scenic, it was inspiring and majestic. But I also experienced one emotion I had not anticipated. Fear. I had always thought that these baskets were about chest high, but this one only came up to our knees. And one good lurch would be enough to throw someone over the side, so I held on with grim determination and white knuckles. And I looked over at my wife, who does not care for heights at all, and relaxed a bit, knowing there was someone else in the basket more tense than I was. I could tell because she would not move at all. During part of our flight, there was a horse ranch on the ground directly behind her, and I pointed to it because I knew she loved horses. And without turning around or even pivoting in her head, she simply rolled her eyes back as far as she could and said, yes, it's beautiful. About this time, I decided to like to get to know the kid who was flying this balloon. You know, not a bad idea. I realized that I could try to psych myself up into believing everything would be fine, but the truth was that we had placed our lives and destiny in the hands of the pilot, everything dependent on his character and competence. And I asked him what he did for a living and, he got, and how he got started flying hot air balloons. I was hoping for his former job to be one full of responsibilities, you know, like a neurosurgeon or perhaps an astronaut who just maybe missed going up into space. I knew we were in trouble when his response to me began, dude, it's like this. He did not even have a job. He mostly surfed. He said the reason he got started flying hot air balloons was that he had been driving around in his pickup when he had too much to drink, crashed the truck, and badly injured his brother. His brother still couldn't get around too well, so watching hot air balloons gave him something to do. By the way, he added, if things get a little choppy on the way down, don't be surprised. I've never flown this particular balloon before, and I'm not sure how it's going to handle the descent. My, life, my wife looked over at me and said, you mean to tell me we are a thousand feet up in the air with an unemployed surfer who started flying hot air balloons because he got drunk, crashed a pickup, injured his brother, and has never been to one of these things before and doesn't even know how to bring it down? And the wife of the other couple who looked at, uh, looked at me and spoke, the only words either of them had said throughout the entire flight, you're a pastor, do something religious. <laughs> John says, so I took an offering. <laughs> and he writes, the great question at a moment like that is, can I trust the pilot? I could try selling myself and everything would run okay, run out okay and turn out okay. But the journey would soon be over and the real issue concerned the dude who was flying this thing were his character and competence such that I could confidently place my destiny in his hands. And that's truly the question when you look at this whole idea of this story and this call. Here Peter had put himself already in the hands of this person, Jesus. And now as he was seeing Jesus again, he blurts out this, can I go to you? And he again is called, come. And he's got to trust this call to go to a place 
that he'd never gone before. You may be there too. You may be in that place where God is calling you and he's calling you into a place. He's calling you into a relationship. He's calling you into a, a experience, a move, and he's saying, come. Now, what I find in this that is very interesting, and it's true whenever you find the call of God, is that when there is this call like this, there's always some fear. Because when you are at the end of your ability and you're at the end of your strength, and you have, like Peter, this experienced sailor who is in this place, who has run boats before, this shouldn't be a big deal. But the storm is so big, it is so great, it is so beyond his ability, he is now in this place where he can't do a thing. And whenever you come to those places where you are really at the edge, you are at the place where you don't have what it's necessary, Necessary to get you to the next place, you will experience fear. That is part of the emotional makeup of who we are as people. And God has a habit of asking people to do things that scare them. Your actual growth as a person, truly growing in maturity, I mean really developing those characters, are all about moving past your own personal fear, the ways that we get angry. Often when you find anger, folks, when you get that in your system and you find it, be really careful about labeling it right away as righteous anger. Most anger comes out of some kind of fear, and it's our desire to use that to either intimidate or to move or to make something happen. Now, in righteous anger, that's fine. But underneath so often, those kind of, even depression or sadness, and so many of the things we see, it comes often out of a place of fear. So out of fear, what happens when these guys are, the boat's going over? It's really possible that one of the things that can come up is they can become, get angry at one another. Well, fear comes up. And when the disciples saw him walking in the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. God consistently asks people to face the fears that limit what he wants to do in them. Faith always leads, in a sense, to that fear. It puts us on the edge of our own abilities, our own understanding, our own competencies. Fear of the unknown. You may face that right now. To Abraham, God comes to him and says, leave your home and go. That had to be a fearful thing. Fear of inadequacy. To Moses, speak to Pharaoh. But I'm slow of speech. I, he was one of the first King's speech movies. I stutter. Fear of failure. Ten spies return from the land that God promised to give them. And in fear, they report the land we explored devours those living in it. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Fear of being judged. God's calling you to do something and you start moving into it. And it's real easy, like Gideon. The enemy, it says, had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could be no more counted than the sand on the seashore. And he's fearing the, not only his own inadequacy, he's fearing being judged. God calls Gideon and he says, let the entire army go, but just keep 300. Can you imagine how his elders and experienced um, soldiers around him were thinking when he was saying we're going to go with 300 against this whole group in the valley? Some of you may fear God. Jesus said, For I know you are a hard man seeking to reap where you did not sow. Claimed a servant in Jesus' parables. You kind of go, God, you, you're so... You, and and, and you, you see God with the eyes that isn't true about who He is. He hates to sin, but He loves a sinner. 
One way or another, when God calls, He begins to move in your life and there will be fear. And then there's reassurance. Verse 27, Jesus immediately said to him, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And again, typical Peter, seeing Jesus, it's almost as if he can blurt out. It's, it, it's, it's like he can hardly hold it back. If it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And I think Matthew includes this to make a point. Because this is not a story about risk-taking, it's a story about obedience. There is a huge difference between faith and foolishness. Look at verses 28 and 29. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. You may wonder what is foolishness and what is faith. Some see Peter's water walking as another foolish attempt by Peter, maybe another indication of his impulse control disorder, you know, foot and mouth disease. But it wasn't. Matthew isn't glorifying risk-taking for its own sake. When Peter got out of the boat, he wanted to make sure that Jesus had called him. It's all about obedience. And now the moment arrives. It's like standing at the edge of a pool. You ever been there where you're standing there and you know you've got to jump? And here's Peter. He says, is it you? And he says, yes, it is. And, and Jesus says, come. And he's here's the call. He's calling him out. Now is the moment of decision. And some of you might be at that place standing right at the edge. And God's called you. You've had this fear. And it's like it says in one of those books, feel the fear and do it anyway. You feel it. You do it. And God comes in and reassures you, and then you have to decide. Am I going to follow him entirely with my life? Do I trust he is a pilot who is competent and has the character to take me into this place? There's always a moment of decision. And Jesus is clear. When you make these decisions and you move out in faith, you read this story, you don't do it perfectly. Peter gets out of the boat, he starts walking, and he begins to see the storm. Because when you start to move out in faith, you start to move out in the call of God, you're going to hear a whole lot of other voices. There will be storms, there will be all these things. And instead of looking at Jesus, you're going to take your eyes off these other things. It's so easy to do. You're moving into what you believe God's called you to do. You're walking into it, but then you begin to start to feel these other things. You have these voices, you see the wind, you see the storms. You take your eyes off it, and you begin to sink, and you begin to fall. Because what really happens is that we are people. People who are not perfect. We will not do these things perfectly. When God calls us, we begin to move into it. We begin to understand that one of the things God calls us as disciples is to learn how to manage our own failures. And how do we manage our own failures? You manage your failures not by, by getting down on yourself and doing all these other things. You manage your failures by calling out to Jesus. And He says, and he, he reaches out to you and you look Him in the eyes and He stands you up on your feet and you begin to walk again with Him. And if you're in that place and you're in this place where you've taken your eyes off and you've sunk, it is impossible to get out of it unless you call and say, Jesus, I would ask that you reach down. And Jesus immediately, it says in Scripture, reaches down and takes care of him. And when, when faith becomes active, God becomes real. Everything changes. Verse 31. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. You know when you will see God most in your life? Is when you get out of the boat. 
When God calls you, you see and you experience the fear. He reassures you. Then you decide. You actually decide to get out of the boat and you begin to walk on water. And you begin to see that this Jesus is all sufficient. You will see God. You will experience God in your life. You will encounter God. That's what this whole thing is about. It's not about this whole experience of going to church. This whole experience of, of reading God's word. This whole experience of being in community with people. This whole experience of giving our resources. It's all about walking in a fresh daily encounter with the living. God and he wants all of us to be in that kind of relationship where God is showing up in exciting ways and so when you see him and you you cannot help but look at him and go truly you're the son of God and in the assurance that said take courage it is I you don't hear it is I you hear it the way I think Jesus intended it is I am That's what those words really could mean. It is I am. And now that I am, what was stated here, as you begin to walk in faith, you step out, you make a decision, and you begin to follow Him, your life changes, you see God for who He is, you actually do something that's beyond what you could ever imagine. He takes you into places. He moves you into relationships. He begins to mature you in a way that you look back and go, I can't believe God did this to my character. And there's always a changed life. When you say yes to God's call... He won't walk perfectly, not by a long shot. But you will in your your yes learn to grow, even from your failures. In fact, because of your failures. And Peter learned that a bit more each day. Think about it. We sometimes come down on Peter because he was the one who doubted and sunk. He's the only one of the eleven who walked on water. Because he attempted to do and to move out into the call of God in a way that others didn't. And let me warn you, when you say no, when you say no to this call of God, your life has also changed. You become a little harder, a little more resistant to his calling, a little more or less likely to settle in, in fact, more likely to settle in and get more comfortable. And a bit more likely that the next time God calls, you'll say no again. I really believe today God is calling some of you to get out of the boat. I don't know what your boat is. But I do know that when you start to look at that, you'll be facing fears. And I believe Jesus might be calling some of you to change that life script of playing it safe. And God's call may come to you in a whole number of ways. It may be in your work. It may be a relational risk. It may be a gift you're called to develop so that you can serve others. It may be some resources God is asking you to give to something to make a difference in people's lives. It may be some beliefs that are more about being comfortable and, and staying within what feels right rather than moving into what God is calling you. Like when he did to his disciples in chapter 13, he said it's about a cost. It's about a cross. I like what Theodore Roosevelt said, and I'm just going to end it with this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who at best know in the end the triumph of great achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls who neither know victory or defeat, but only know how to 
play it safe and be comfortable. Let's pray. Father, it is our desire to be people who live by a new script, and that is a script that is one of faith that stretches and moves um, according to your call, facing our fears and moving into it anyway, following you as you assure us that we are to take courage. And as we decide to step out, we see our lives change and the lives of others around us changed in ways we could never imagine or conceive. You have called us to this freedom. It is an adventure. It is a freedom that is not always safe. But it is filled with you. Amen.